Welcome back to another Real Estate Roundtable with Saul Klein, Chris Abel, and Rebecca Carlson. Sadly, Darren Hayes, Professor Hayes, couldn't join us this month as he is in Vegas at a security conference getting much smarter, or if that's possible, learning more so he can share it with us next month. But I am I could not be more excited to be back again. I know a lot of our listeners have had to wait a whole month to answer the question Rebecca raised about what's next. And more importantly, with Chris and Saul on the call, what's going on and so forth. So in our true tradition of the roundtable, let's go around, introduce, talk about what happened this month, who you are. First and foremost, for our new listeners, because believe it or not, we are growing exponentially and it's fantastic. So let's start, Saul, if you would, who you are, what you do, what happened this month, and then we'll get into our hot topics as we go around. Hi, I'm Saul Klein, and uh, I'm an old real estate broker from many, many years ago, and I uh, now just kind of write and do the projects that I like to do, and one is something called the Data Advocate. So we opened it back up. If you can see it now, we're still playing with it, but it's live thedataadvocate.com. And we talk about things that uh, that other people don't talk about because they haven't thought about it yet. Well, wait a minute. Didn't, didn't you talk about the things that are happening now already? Well, so we like to think that we pay enough attention that we see those things a little bit before anybody else does. Uh, and not for any other reason than we just try to pay real close attention to certain things in the real estate market. So, you know, big, and then we were talking about a big purchase is a Teradatum, a data company uh, purchased by Lone Wolf, another big company in the industry, as we see more consolidations taking place and uh, in different aspects, even in the multiple listing world in real estate. And at the same time, we got the Department of Justice and the executive branch of the government coming out saying they're going to look real carefully at consolidations and what's going on and what might be anti-competitive. So big talk about competition in a number of different industries and in particular real estate. And uh, the market seems to have cooled a little bit. I don't know what you guys are seeing, but um, things have slowed down a little bit, at least here in San Diego in a couple of different pockets. So things are good. I'm happy to hear it. Happy to happy to see that Data Advocate is back, so to speak. You're not, old, you're not old real estate. You're older real estate. The innovator, you know, real estate, uh, the real estate information network, RIN, now Realtor.com. That being said, uh, Chris, if you would. Yes, I'm uh, Chris Abel. I'm the membership director for the Connecticut chapter of Associated Builders and Contractors. Um, it's a member membership association with just over 200 members. So really my focus is always providing value for my members, um, chatting with them as much as possible, talking about the construction industry, uh, mostly on the commercial and the industrial side, and just kind of keeping up on what trends are out there, what's going on, uh, constantly answering questions, uh, trying to figure out um, what technology trends they should be kind of looking out for, as well as just general trends in the industry. So it's been uh, it's been busy to say the least, and it's been a little bit uh, up and down, uh, just like everything else. But uh, it's been it's been interesting too. It's what keeps it keeps it fun and keeps keeps me on my toes. That's for sure. 
and love it. The all things construction side of the of the argument of the table round table. Uh, this is one of the few places I know that I come away knowing more holistically about the space because of everyone's inclusion. Speaking of holistically about this space, Rebecca Carlson, who are you and what's going on this month on your world? Well, you already told everybody who I was, Rebecca Carlson. It says so. it under your name, <laughs> under your thumbnail. So, Andreas, it's great to be here. Always just absolutely delightful to share this table with, with Chris and Saul and you. And I like it when Darren's here, too. And Regan, who doesn't like to show up on camera, but is still a very, very important part of our table. So... I wanted to just uh, give you a little bit of an idea of what I do. I have a marketing company and we work with clients all over the country. My background is exclusively commercial real estate, which means that the vast majority of our clients are in the commercial real estate arena, whether that's investors, owners, brokers, or people providing ancillary services, even attorneys and work with construction companies and things like that, and other folks in professional services that require commercial real estate knowledge specific to our industry. And I was like, okay, Saul, you are not old. You are an early adopter. That's, that is one thing. You're an early adopter. You're actually an early, you like designed early adoption. So I think you should take credit for that. And absolutely you are not old. So I wanted to point that out. (laughs) (laughs) And Chris, I definitely have some questions for you today because I see things moving a little bit in the construction industry. And I want to know how your members are adjusting to supply chains and things like that. The most wonderful thing I've experienced over the past several weeks that I wanted to share with you guys today is that in Chicago, we have cautiously started doing some more of this meeting in person thing. We are we were much later than some of the southern states that have a lot more outdoor opportunities. Like in Chicago, you can't always go outside in March. Sometimes it's very cold here. Often it's very cold here. So, But in the past few weeks, I've attended multiple events where I've gotten to see people and discover that, you know, that they are doing well and hear how their, their families and their businesses have fared over the past, um, past year and a half, really. So I think that I'll have a little bit to talk about that later, but the the people of real estate is very much where I have uh, had a lot of movement over the past month. And Andreas and I were introduced by a friend of mine who is a mentor, Jonathan Stein from Inland. He is a president in Inland and I met him, oh gosh, 17 years ago at my first trip to ICSC in Las Vegas. And he's the one who introduced me to Andreas and I have seen him twice in the past week. So that piece is very exciting and he's always always wants to hear how Andreas is doing. So, ah, well, hope, well, we have to make sure he tunes in. John, Jonathan Stein is a true blue real estate broker, a relationship builder and networker. Saul, I'm sure you've met him at a show or two. Chris, if you attend any show in commercial real estate, you will meet him. And I love Jonathan Stein. And for those who don't know, Inland is one of the largest real estate owners in the country, both with their public REITs and their private holdings development groups. Massive, vertically integrated organization. That is to say, they're doing things and things are moving and things are happening. Myself, who I am, because I get to introduce myself now that you guys win, is a third 
uh, third generation real estate developer, a brokerage owner, and someone whose personal mission has always been to drive technology enablement into organizations so they can thrive in the for-profit area and soon to be non-profit areas, specifically around real estate, because that's what I grew up in and what I, what I know. And through that networking, this relationship built business, I've met Saul, I've met Becca, I've met Chris. And being able to talk technology coherently is something that is very difficult traditionally as I'm sure Saul can say much more than I can historically into our industry, but now everyone knows how to use Zoom and QR codes. So for me, the last month has been a, why don't you have QR codes conversation and things of that nature. Uh, funny enough, Saul, and I, I hate to say this because I know you have a lot to say on it. Uh, the other conversation was, well, what about blockchain and Bitcoin transactions? Are you going to start accepting that? How? Uh, smart contracts aside. So it has just been an incredible month to Rebecca's point of getting back together with people uh, cautiously. And as far as the construction industry, I have questions for you. So I have questions for you, Rebecca. I do know what a QR code is, but for those of us who haven't been out to a restaurant post the start of COVID, I think some explanation will be in order. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, where we left off uh, or where we want to start, uh, where I'd like to start first and foremost, is a huge disconnect between my brokerage clients and the construction industry. To Saul's point in San Diego of the market slowdown, yeah, here in the Northeast, we've seen it sort of plateau and then kind of jump a little and then plateau. And now I dare say a decline, but we're just in the month starting. So it might shift again, which I correlate directly to Chris's side of the industry, which is lumber and construction. I've got a lot of land in a lot of places sitting out there that's been purchased or hasn't been purchased promises to be so chris what what's going on there because you know according to the exchange lumber prices are down again but construction is just not happening well, well part of it and it's not even just just on the lumber side it's on the steel side it's on everything it's not necessarily i mean the prices could be wherever the prices want to be but if there's not enough material if there's not material being sent out everyone's kind of in this <clears throat> it's not even it's not even a hurry up and wait. It's just kind of a wait. And as, as you know, people in general, we don't like to be told, Hey, you know, even by your, 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 your best, the best members of your network or the companies that you worked for decades with that you have, you have to wait. Um, it's just, it's just been interesting. I think we're going to start finding out a lot has happened in the last month. Um, but at the end of the day, you're going to start finding out who really, who the good contractors are. Not that they're just going to be able to pull out lumber or pull out steel and just start building right away, but it's going to be those GCs and those CMs that are not only um, putting one foot in front of the other, constantly trying to improve their, their methods, but also trying to improve the other contractors and subcontractors in their network with them and just kind of making everybody better, um, you know, as they kind of move along. But the the prices are definitely, you know, the prices, there was talk about them dropping. I believe prices are even higher now, but it's still a matter of prices can be wherever they want, but if you can't buy this stuff then, or if you can't have it's just, stuff it's delivered, just not then, make it, it's just not getting there. It's just not, not there. I have people, I have uh, some people that I've 
been talking to about um, things as, as easy as, well, you think as easy as uh, door kits, windows, you know, the things that, you know, and they're now they're being questioned, are these things going to be in, you know, by winter, which is actually a realistic question right now. Um, when you're in Chicago, when you're in the Northeast, especially, you would never think we'd be sitting here at the beginning of August wondering if <clears throat> those things to secure your buildings are going to be in by, let's say, you know, let's say October, November, even December, early December, depending on what type of winter we have in the Northeast. But that's really um, where the, where we are. But I have seen a lot of, <clears throat> we get into it after, but I have seen a lot of uh, members that I deal with and construction companies really starting to turn towards the technology side. And I've been getting a lot of calls and getting a lot of questions in regards to how they can help improve their processes consistently using technology, which I believe you asked me that question last month. And you would have thought you asked me that question five years ago between uh, then and now, how many people have started talking to me uh, about technology and integrating technology into their, uh, into their everyday processes. And Saul, and, and only because you brought up age, Saul, when was the first time you were asked that question in real estate for the brokers about integrating technology and the internet oh. into their business model? Because <laughs> I have to now lob it across. <laughs> yeah, so the, the technology is probably in the mid-80s, 84, 85. We started having conversations about having MLS data converted to a computer that you could access by 1970. Actually, it was in the 70s huh? because by 78, we were we had those terminals and right central. That was an issue in set back in 78 when the whole idea of computers, the MLSs were set up as a, a database. And the only way that you could access if you wanted to do it by computer was over telephone lines. And so a major, major part of the MLS contract was how many telephone lines? Because, you know, the worst thing it would be Monday morning and you're a real estate agent and, you're, and you had to call in and couple the telephone to the computer terminal, which was a dumb terminal. So the worst thing would be, you're gonna gotta have a showing, you wanna print some stuff out, you call and you get a busy signal. <laughs> so what they had to do was they had to buy more lines and that was a big expense. And that was part of the way that MLS was delivered. And it wasn't until about 98 that the first browser-based MLS came into existence. And that was a paradigm shift because now, instead of everybody calling in to get the data, the data was put up on, an inter on the internet and people could access it through their own connectivity, which were phone lines at the time, but well, you know, has evolved over the years. And that's the way the MLS works today. So, but still, how, what is the practical application of that technology in your business? And so technologies just rush over our heads. We get so much new technology. And so a lot of it just passes by. A lot of great technologies are ignored and a lot of great companies don't make it, not because they don't have good technology, but because they couldn't get people to adopt their technologies, right? Well, so it's been a conversation since the 70s, as far as I know. And here's the wonderful thing about that conversation. And the reason I brought it up, there is so there are scientific formulas that prove out that 
it will not take 20 years for the construction industry to figure this out at this point. <laughs> Thanks to COVID and the readily available non-dial-up access to the internet, uh, hopefully construction will learn from, the construction side is learning from, everything that the residential real estate industry went through. Access of information, not having it siloed, not actually owning your data versus not owning it, giving it away, protecting yourselves in the future. Because in my mind, the construction industry like is also analog in the sense of a lot still done on pen and paper and in Excel. And they have an opportunity to now solve a problem of logistics. How do I get my lumber or my labor? Because to your point, Chris, about GCs, the good GCs will have labor and lumber at the same time, which is logistically a nightmare without the right technology. And, and learn it and apply it. And then translate it, and not translate it, but communicate it effectively through technology to real estate, which is where Rebecca comes in, because communicating anything effectively is marketing, assumably. Ineffectively is sales. No, I'm sorry. That's the other <laughs> way around. <laughs> so and, and as i jump around keep in mind uh on the marketing side are you seeing or given the breadth of groups you work with construction broker developer investor what are they portraying out to the industry now is it is it wait or i got this or what's going on so I think it, in some ways it depends who we're working for and where their markets are, because every geography has a little bit of a different take on, on what's going on. And, and I have clients in Nashville who've never had a slowdown and everything's perfectly normal. Like they didn't have a slowdown in the last recession. They've been totally awesome for, for decades now. So they're doing really, really well. And they're having very normal course of business. They're also in a warmer climate, of course, than Chicago. And they benefit from having a almost year-round outdoor capability, which helps their their COVID rates and their, their COVID instances and things like that. Uh, one, one piece of that in kind of answering that question, I'm seeing a lot of busy movement by my investors. My retail investors in particular are buying. They are, they're having buying cycles this year that I have not seen. Well, one company has purchased four properties this year. I have, go, I have known them for many years and they, they go through periods of time up to two years where they don't purchase anything. So the fact that they've purchased four in the first half of this year is really remarkable, but I think they're seeing we're seeing pricing in some sectors finally come into an area where where it matches, where buyer and seller expectations match because because you, you got to have the match or nothing happens. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> so communicating their strength is what we're doing because they have been so active. Now, we're not going to lie. So if 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 I have a client that's not as active, instead we're going to talk about their thought leadership. We're going to talk about their wisdom in waiting for the right opportunities and pursuing those opportunities very very cautiously because that's what their investor base wants. So it is dependent upon the clients that we're serving and where they're at in their very specific market niche, if you will. And and the recurring theme here is things are moving and dependent on who you are and where you are. The speed is different. 
is what I'm correct. And in our in our first roundtable, we discussed uh, a data checklist and an inventory of business, rewriting the playbook post COVID, taking advantage of it. And we went around and talked about it. Now, if everyone did their homework, good for you. If you didn't do your homework, that's okay. We're gonna we're, I'm gonna continue on that line of thought right now. Although Darren isn't with us on the security side, there is uh, the broader stewardship of data at play now. So now you have all this information, these learnings that you're starting to put into practice, construction, the data advocate, although this might be very broad now, the data <laughs> on your side, the marketing piece, the analytics, learning from your clients. As you said, if I'm not actively building and promoting that, well, then I have to be promoting my relationship in some way. So we're gathering even more and more data. And for me, what I'm curious to talk about to our last calls point Saul made about developing cities and Olivia Ramos's deep blocks platform, which in effect will take a piece of land and instantly build virtually all the potential uses. So the net present value versus future value of developing something. But it does not connect, at least today, to my knowledge, to the supply chain and construction to say, hey, I can get that done. And if you're like most developers that I know, six-month cash reserves, X amount of time to do something, everything is, sadly, still siloed and fragmented. So, Mr. Data Advocate Saul Klein, <laughs> yeah. what do we do in well, this forum? Go ahead. First, first <laughs> we haven't seen this. what's going to happen with these issues of forbearance and with uh, rent moratoriums, yep. right? So that's kind of this unknown thing that's kind of shaking and sitting out there and deadlines and who has authority to say what. And so there's like a power struggle going on and that will have some effect on all these things we talk about. And uh, so I mean, anyway, I think that's worth stating, right? That it's like, no matter what, even at its best, we got these big unknowns right now. And we're not sure how it's going to play out. However, there are people who think they know how it plays out. And there are people who believe that there are a lot of opportunities that are going to be available here over the next year or two. And what do they look at to decide where the opportunity is and how they make a decision? And the answer is they look at the data. And they, the more data that they can get their hands on, what they believe is the more intelligent the choice will be, the decision will be. And... Uh, there's a, the government, we were talking about this when we, before, Andres, before you got here, and this was this executive order. If you haven't read this executive order, it is amazing. It's a 7,000 word document, and it basically says what the administration is going to do to make everything fair for everybody from technology to real estate. And the 7,000 words in 7,000 words. And it's a, uh, the 7,000 words are well chosen. And uh, the committee that oversees this, we were talking about this, the people that sit on this committee are the cabinet members. And so um, we're going to see the government looking at and all of your customers, I think, uh, Beck are going to be looking at and Chris, your, your members, everybody's going to be looking real hard at any edge 
that they can get. And that will come from being able to look at, being able to visualize. That's a big one. Looking at data is one thing, but then what can you visualize what it means and how it shows you where the opportunity is? And so I see a lot of exciting things happen, but I think everybody needs to read this executive order from uh, July 9th. And it'll give you an indication of using the full force and strength of the government and the executive branch and the administrative powers to bring about the, the things that, the, that are on the agenda of the administration. And so as real estate people in the real estate industry, we all want to know what this is. We want to know where the funding's going, what the funding is going to be used for. How do you get access to it? Are there private uh, public partnership availabilities? Uh, is the land going to be rezoned to create more opportunity? We got a big issue with affordability. Well, you know, what's the biggest expense in most property? It's the land itself. So what if you allow more units to go? And so there's whole new policies. And, and so land use itself, the policy of land use in this, we talked about this in this country is undergoing change right now. And very important if you're looking at developing things as you find out where the transportation corridors are going to be and where the mass transit's going to be and what kind of density bonuses you can get if you locate in those types of areas. So lots of great things will come out of this and lots of opportunity. But if you're not paying attention, it'll just pass you right by and somebody else will spend the money. And we, and we talked a lot about this uh, last call and data in insights from data instead of data overload. I think Rebecca, you raised the point and it was just, and it stuck with me all month <laughs> because there's so much data. So your point's all, and the more data we have, the more powerful and more insightful we can be, but we still have to get there. I mean, it's take that raw data in many cases, put it all together, visualize it, uh, which is an area that DeepBlocks does well. It visualizes building that present value based on uh, zoning laws. So it takes those two data sets. I'd be curious to see how that document would translate into that, to those changes. Are they an overlay? Uh, things of that nature. So that tech's coming. Uh, it's just not, I haven't seen it yet. And I candidly have not read that release. So if you think about data, think about us as human beings. We have sensors and we collect data. That's what we do. And with our sensors in, we're able to make choices. And so now what we're going to have massive computing power, exponentially growing computing power. We have data science. And so now it's a matter of if you if you could bring all the data and what is all the data? It's everything I see, everything you see, everything we all do. If all of that can be brought in, then you could create the technology to allow for that to bring you closer and closer to a human result from a computer, the more data that you can feed it, right? And the more circumstances. So there's never going to be too much data, right? For, at, for at a the computer. Level, at, for, yeah, at the top level. <laughs> for us, even for us, though, right? The more we know, the more we apply. The more we can digest. We so it's throughput and at that point. And it's, and it's amassing more and then collecting more. So, I, you know. Uh, just on uh, to bring it around to a general Google Analytics aspect, goals, completions, how many people visit. But I think we have to be wary of numbers in isolation, silos of information. Knowing that 15,000 people visited the website this month is great, but 
why or what were they that actually visited. So there are some cautionary tales here with that data. Uh, marketing, I see you. I know, I'm like, I'm like, oh, oh, I want to talk about this. Sorry. Just go right ahead and jump in, please. Uh, yeah. So over the past month, I've been asked multiple times if we're using Hotjar. So Hotjar allows you to create a heat map of a website page that shows where people are interacting on that website page. And you can do like three for free. So I was even telling a client today where I think there's a problem with their landing page. And I say that because we we did like a $100 Google ad or a Facebook ad. They had 274 clicks and no conversions. Like, well, you're, something's wrong with the landing page. Like you can't have 274 people click through to the site and not do anything. And it, it's for, it's for, uh, it's for our product, for a training class. Like it just didn't make sense to me because they already watched a two minute video to get there in the first place. Like there's no reason these people shouldn't have bought because it's amazing. So that was my solution as we did a, a really long call earlier today of like, we've got to get this in hot jar. And I, don't typically like I would never add something to somebody's website without asking. So we had to have like a real conversation about it, really talking about it so that we can identify those exact spaces where they're having people fall off, where people are scrolling, going, oh, no, this isn't for me. And we we went through a couple of pieces. There's like people have to had to look at a disclaimer before they could access anything. Well, I'm sure people were terrified, like, wait, I'm, like this is a law firm website. I'm big disclaimer. Oh, scary. You know, <laughs> I was like, well, what if we did this a little bit differently? Like, how can we make this so that it's not scary? And so that when we do paid advertising, we can actually see what's happening and we're not losing all of this fall off. So I think when we were talking, when you guys were talking about the data that you're using and obviously a website is a, is a microcosm, but a microcosm of really good data that can be useful if you're looking at it and paying attention to that data and not just having it collect on the back end and never using it. And Saul is absolutely right. When we have more and more data, we can be more and more effective. We just have to make the decision to like use the data. And how, and how do you, who, yeah. who can tell us how to use it well? And that's where, you know, uh, SAS, Companies like Creco or and or data scientists, see Saul's point, are essential. But I want to bring and I want to bring that full circle to construction and forgive the moving monitor. I'm just plugging in here. The question I bring over to the construction side is: All right, we're collecting data, sensors. Becca brought up a brand new sensor in Hotjar to filter said data. And as we're filtering said data, what happens with bad actors, bad data, or most recently in the news, bad chips on the market where uh, people are getting fake parts, fake visits. I'll give you an example, a marketing example to jump in your lane a bit, Becca, for a moment. The We have a service on one of our sites that tracks visitors. Well, turns out they also send a little bot to come look at our site about a hundred times during the month, which was was bad data for everything else that tracks visitors because it didn't it wasn't able to correlate itself against our other systems. Construction wise, I'm hearing more and more about these uh, substandard parts 
substandard equipment. So a bit of a jump, but Chris, if you want to jump yeah. in there. Yeah, no, the, um, I've heard a little bit about this uh, recently and it was more um, a couple of months ago, actually, when we were, we were, when we kind of started in our first round table. I remember we, we were talking a little bit about um, how the whole supply thing was starting to really kind of ramp up and people were getting a little bit desperate and they were starting to look on different websites that they wouldn't use before. And they started looking at different suppliers and things of that nature. And that's something that I've heard of recently because some of these parts, some of these things that they've, they've ordered are kind of stretched and said, you know what, I got to do something. They're starting to come in and they're realizing it's not what it's cracked up to be. It's not what they were looking for. Uh, it's definitely not what the customer or the developer was, was looking for. So now they're kind of back to the drawing board um, where they're wasting money. Cause I know, and it's, it's, you combine that with what's going on um, in general. And that's what got, has these contractors really leery about, you know, about bidding things out because they don't know um, not only where they're going to get what they need, but what it's going to look like when it's actually coming, you know, coming in. Um, so I see a lot of the, mem the members I deal with and a lot of the companies I deal with in general that I've spoken with, um, you know, they're, they're trying to get back to the drawing board and say, you know, it, some of it might be better off just kind of waiting and saying, you know, let me get what I need to get. So I'm not basically doubling up. And there's no chance that not only that they're, they're going to make any money, but they're going to be losing money and maybe losing money big in the process. Um, so a lot of the contractors, although they're working somewhat blind when they're trying to figure out, um, not knowing if they're going to have the proper tools. One of the, one of the most nerve wracking things, obviously for a contractor is not having the proper tools to complete a job. And that goes way beyond, you know, a hammer and nail situation that is uh, that goes into the labor shortage that goes into the supply chain sh uh, shortage, but that also goes into um, the technology side of things as well. And the data side of things as well, because if they're not getting the proper data or they're not, um, collecting and in, in, they're collecting in there and they're, and they're trying to utilize this and visualize and do all the things we're talking about. If they kind of that garbage in garbage out scenario where they're like, you know what, everyone's told me that I have to look this way and I have to do this and I have to do this. Well, you know what? I don't know what else to do. I'm going to do it. And they dive in and they make an investment into um, technology. And that could be on various levels. I mean, that could be, you know, anything into, uh, you know, uh, investing into, um, you know, making sure getting 3D model uh, prints of what their buildings are going to look like, and 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 using you know barcodes for material management. But if it's if it's not working the way they envisioned it would work, or maybe they've been sold on the other end um, from somebody at some of these companies, like oh no, it could do this, it could do this, and uh, it's just not working out for them. So it's uh. It's an interesting time. I, I, I know a lot of companies that I work with and a lot of the companies I speak to, and this is not only just in construction, this is in architecture, engineering, especially especially engineers, the critical thinking side of things. You know, there's some walking on eggshells going on when it comes to um, what am I going to order and what's going to actually show up. And until they have the proper materials and the proper stuff in line, and then to your point earlier about making sure that if they have the proper materials, do they have the labor side of things covered? Um, or is the, or is, I spoke to someone recently where 
they got lucky. They got real lucky in regards to a lot of their materials. And the stuff ended up sitting in a storage unit because it was a CM. This is not your contractor who has a whole bunch of warehouses and a whole bunch of you know, labor showing up to their office. This is a CM. It's an office building. Now, all these materials come in and there's really nowhere to put them on the actual site. So now they have to pay the storage. And it's it's interesting. These are stories I never I never really thought about or heard of when I when I jumped in this field a few years back. So the so the realistic expectations aren't necessarily being met Basically. today due to COVID <laughs> on on delivery physically on the on the digital side marketing wise everything is shifted they're all new numbers and to your point we're now finding new ways to measure them and what and sal what is the data advocate doing to help us get through this ah so you named it that way you knew it was coming (laughs) (laughs) so uh, that goes back to if people don't know what they have they don't fight to protect it okay and so data in the real estate industry the the primary early value that people saw was in the physical data about property and and people didn't realize that just knowing about the physical characteristics of property has derivative value and so we had an army of real estate agents around the country collecting all this information about bedrooms, baths, comp- what's the composition roof, was it foundation or slat, right? all that kind of information. How old is the property? Well, that information is valuable to like maybe an insurance company or contractors or so. So I, while all the realtors are collecting this, when the, this data, when the Internet was was created actually when the browser came into being and people started to use the internet for commercial purposes the first thing to go up there were all these listings but there was no there were no data rules and because nobody even knew what 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 is it who you don't even think about data in that light right and so there was the idea of advertising you're going to get free advertising you put this up there you're going to get advertising well the company that took it that gave you the advertising they got all this stuff that if they put it together right they might find people that are interested in paying money for that data. And so I sat on panels for a number of years at all the major real estate events and was the only person that was singing this song that the data is valuable. And all the people that ran the portals, and we won't mention any names, they say, no, it's not really valuable. No one will ever pay you for that information. But to me, it was just obvious that that could be, that data was valuable. And if you could measure what data people looked at, then people's uh, habits online are also valuable. The consumer's usage of the data is also valuable. And the whole multiple listing service in real estate is kind of backwards because if you're going to provide data to the world and everybody, the world can make money on it, you have to pay to do it. You see, so the realtors have to pay this money. It should kind of be the opposite where they put it in and the people that take that and make all this money with it they then pay to have that data. Isn't that the way it works in the real world? And so, uh, so when we say we're the data advocate, we're about advocating consciousness 
about the value of the data. Everybody, once they're conscious of the fact that there's value, they'll look at it. And the government's helping out around the world, right, where data rights and data privacy and data ownership and how do you explain ownership? So with the data advocate, we're taking this concept of data and we're putting it into a real estate uh, scenario. So when we used to teach real estate principles classes, how do you teach real estate? Typically in eight lessons, ownership, encumbrances, math and land, contracts, finance, taxation, valuation, right? Those are the, so you could take data and say, what's important to know about data? Ownership, can you, encumbrances, can you sell it? Can you give it away? Can you lease it? Ownership, encumbrances, math and land, algorithms and and data science and contracts. Yeah, data contracts. And right. So you can take the, the way that we taught, re, we teach real estate to people and teach data to people using that uh, that scenario. So that's kind of what we're about. We're going to try to do that, create this narrative so people can latch on at any point, no matter where they are, and kind of understand the value of the data that they generate or that they consume. That's right. And just and I'll name names. So there's realtors ran around for free, giving size, value, number of bedrooms and so forth. And CoStar, one of the largest commercial real estate data aggregators, fills an entire building in D.C. with paid researchers doing the same thing for commercial spaces. So if anyone can't draw the parallel, there's your exact parallel. Here is a here is a for profit company that has to pay a building full of people to get the same data that a realtor, broker, and agent gives away every time they add it into the MLS. And that MLS then shares it, paid or unpaid, I'm not going down that road with you, Sal, out to 2,000 different other partners who then also make money on it. A great example today, this just this past quarter, was showing time getting purchased by Zillow. The far-reaching ripple effects of your data. Marketing data, uh, Facebook no more cookies, no more personalized ads. Well, what about construction data? What, and I'm gonna use Connecticut because I recently am purchasing here. If I go to Northern Connecticut, I have to worry about cement from a certain place, foundationally. Well, if that data was readily available in a map and I could see it and I could understand it, I never would have gone in that neck of the woods. I've learned all of this ahead of time. but who actually owns that data and where can it be found right now? The brokers tell you for free, but maybe that's going to change. Well, so, you know what? There's a whole chain of ownership that, and a lot of people could come up with their own chains of ownership, right? So in many cases, it hasn't been defined exactly. I was talking to John Riley, my business partner today, talking about what kind of property is data. So there's two types of property, real property and personal property. Real property, immovable. Personal property, movable. Distinguishing characteristics of the two pipes. And they define, we define property by what it's not. All property that's not real is movable, all is personal. All property that's not personal is, is real. What's data? So at first I think, well, data is movable. You know, you put it on one of these things, you can take it anywhere you want. It's movable. But what if it runs with the land? Because isn't data that might be valuable to a parcel of real estate be owned by the people who live in that property and accumulate that data over the years and feed it into whatever collects all this data? And so 
people then might even have a, a value if that data is used and if you're, we're using the right kinds of technology and this can all be tracked and we know this technology exists, then I could actually sell the house and 20 years later get paid something because a piece of my data was used in some algorithm that calculated something for some for something. Right. Which sounds futuristic, but, you know, hey, uh, for any Back to the Future fans, the only thing missing right now is flying cars. Everything else exists. And that was futuristic in its day. And pick any other reference uh, frame. It's I think it's it's not only an actuality, it's it's happening. New York Times wrote in uh, early January about the about us as humans how we are just one big data set that's now been collected and honed so that marketers can target their ads and help us make, help us make decisions uh, or make the decision they want us to make the purchase they want us to make. Who got paid along the way on that audit trail to Sal's point? Where did the data originally come from? I, there's a saying I I've said repeatedly in real in real estate tech and in tech, if it's free, then you're the product, not the other way around, because that means they're collecting your data. How long, how often, what are you doing? Because nothing, is, in my opinion, is, is really free. And Sal, I think you'd agree there. Back well, there, yeah, sure. so I go back to the hype machine, you know, Sanan Rall. And if you haven't read the hype machine, it's a great read. And it kind of lays all of this out and the way it works and uh, fascinating subject. So. Absolutely. Uh, echo chambers in faith. Well, uh, without going down that rabbit hole, the social media aspect of it all. You, homophily, you're going to be attracted to like-minded people. Well, what if all you're exposed to is a certain type of content and it, and it starts to, uh, what's the term, build on itself? Uh, similarly, similarly, this is how people are indoctrinated into um, cults. This is happening in real time in the internet. I mean, go, back the wrong... ex- go back to this executive order because it actually I... lists, <laughs> it lists the industries that they're going after. Yeah, and they do talk about the the social media platforms and Google and right. So it's not just the real estate industry, right? It's it's going to go after global, after, right? To, to to address some of the things you talk about. Right, that you mentioned, Andreas. And you know, we got problems in this society. And if we're smart enough to use the technology that's available and the, the data science that's, that's available, we'll be able to work our way out of some of these problems. But if we don't, we're in big trouble. Well, well then we're the product to somebody, it seems. Uh, we're <laughs> just to be direct. Uh, the we're closing up on the on our hour here. And as much as I could talk all day to this group of people, not some others, but this group, the question I have for each of you, the one I phrase every month and is most important is given what we've said, what we know, what we're seeing first month was analyze yourself, your business, take inventory. Second month, we discussed how to use that inventory and to better your business. I think that's a fair statement. Third month, 
Saul, you can start off. Let's go around clockwise. I assume we're all in the same order on Zoom. I've never, ever asked that question on the gallery screen. We're not. (laughs) We're not. (laughs) So to be fair to everyone, I want you to know that I literally... <laughs> the method to your madness. <laughs> there is a method, barely, to the madness. Uh, what can they do to help themselves? And is this that um, that release on your website, the Data Advocate? That's yeah, a thousand. It's pages. up there. Uh, it's up there. It's up there, and people can read it and print it, and it's it's a valuable piece. So I would say, what are we looking at? We're looking at now. Uh, we talked about data today. And so for me, data creates opportunity. And we now know that the land use policy in the United States is going to undergo a dramatic shift. And with that dramatic shift, there's going to be dramatic changes in value. And when there are changes in value, there's opportunity. And where you're going to get, if if you're a real estate investor or a real estate agent or a developer or a software builder in the real estate space, knowing where it's all going is very important. And so paying attention to the data as we talk about it and knowing that the land use policy is going to change and that trillions of dollars are going to be allocated to be spent at the local level. And so I would be looking at what are the mechanisms where if I'm an investor, if I'm a buyer or seller, what are the mechanisms the government uses to feed money to stimulate what it wants to have happen? And I would use that information to help me make uh, strategic decisions on where I want to invest today. Use the data. It'll help you find the opportunity. And we kind of talked all around that today. Fair enough. And Rebecca, some of your investors probably are using some of that data. What's uh, what's your insight for the month in the call? Well, I think actually Saul, Saul had some really important points that I think often we get so wrapped up in our own businesses and our own lives that we're not always looking at that macro level of what's going on in the government initiative. And so that's what I would want to drive home today is pay attention, prioritize knowing what's going on on the on the much bigger scale and how it can impact your business, because I'm guilty of it. I'm sure we all are, except Saul, because he's like a genius. (laughs) I'm like, right, you put your head down and you just do your job and you're like, oh, there was an executive order. That's nice. And like, don't think about it for five seconds, which is so foolish, right? We all have the opportunity to be aware of what's going on in our country, especially as it relates to governmental initiatives, because they change things. They are their own paradigm shifts or can be their own Mm -hmm. paradigm shifts, although they won't take away Saul's car wash. I don't think. Oh, best, <laughs> best month ever. Yay! That's what you, that's what you said last, last month. month. Better than last month. <laughs> July was a great month. <laughs> and Chris, on, on your side, what uh, what insights have you, uh, have you gathered from the call? Well, the, month? yeah, well, um, it's no, it's no secret that across across the industry, you know. Uh, Across the con- across all industries, but across the construction industry, firms are they're they're really looking to technology to 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 stay afloat, not only 
you know, the good ones looking to thrive, the ones that were prepared for all of this best they can, but they're just looking to stay afloat. So some of it is just going back to some of the, the basics, basic uh, stuff of, you know, trying to kind of optimize, optimize the whole when it comes to these projects and when it comes to these, 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 um, these ideas and these things that they have going on, including, you know, I, I see some of the, 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 better builders right now, like I said, they're going down the chain to their subcontractors and the people that they either have relationships with for years or they want to continue to have relationships. And they're passing on some of the data and some of the technology that is working for them. Because if the the people under them that are doing the, the, the physical work, if they are empowered to be able to um, do their job and do their job properly and stay, stay open and stay thriving and stay moving, then the people up top can actually get these buildings built. Um, because I mean, at the end of the day, these, these things are, are going to get built. The, 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 or bought the supply like chain as investors either or, or, or yeah, or they're just going to make it go from four to eight buildings this year. But um you know, just kind of, like I said, focusing on the flow of the projects, if, if you're in the, the field, um, you know, showing, showing, you know, a certain level of respect when you're dealing with the developers and when you're dealing with the, the brokers and making sure that um, you're answering the questions properly and answering the question, the questions as true as you possibly can. So everyone understands, hey, this is where we are. It's not always going to be just like this. Other times it's going to be better. Other times it's going to, it might seem worse. But at the end of the day, we can get through these things and the buildings are going to get built and things are going to get accomplished. But um, it has to be looked at as, you know, the whole, everyone who is involved with these projects needs to know exactly what's going on. And um, whether they know, whether one person knows why, things are happening or the whole group knows why things are happening that knowledge um that's its own set of data it needs to be spread out through everyone that's on the project so everyone can understand hey this is what we're dealing with this is where we're going and the path will be clear so you can put one foot in front of the other so it's kind of a mouthful but it's 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 almost like a back to basics approach on in 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 a lot of ways well it's if i can echo the three of you and, and reiterate back a holistic approach to your business that includes a holistic outlook to where you are, your government, what applies, funding, and all. And, Go ahead. No, Andreas, when we have these conversations, things tend to come kind of full circle. And you talk about that holistic approach. One of the first things that we talked about on this call, Becca was talking about being in person with some people. And being in that that connection, not that we can always have that, but that connection of that holistic connection of, hey, looking someone in the eye, having a conversation, uh, making them feel feel all right, but truthfully making them feel all right because it's okay to be to be okay type of thing. Um, and these calls always tend to come around that that, that full circle of that holistic approach. The uh, yes, and and as does a transaction from land all the way through to building, to disposition, to marketing. And that's what, and security with Darren when he's here and capital as we bring on that person. The thing that I don't want, the thing that I would prefer that shouldn't be lost as hopefully we continue opening up in all the different areas is a lot of us learned how to communicate very effectively remotely in a lot of ways, different things to get things done. 
And my hope is that as an industry, regardless of what side you're on, we can take those learnings of, of Slack chatting, of project management, and just expand upon them. And my tip, based on Becca and Saul, and, and besides going to the data advocate.com, uh-huh. com, uh, setting up a Google alert for what is relevant to you locally. It's free. Go to Google, and, and that way in your inbox every morning, you get an alert about the topics that are relevant to your exact space, whether that's blockchain, government, construction, marketing, tips and tricks, or uh, production, Mr. Mendoza, back there. Uh, it's It has uh, helped increase my workload every day, but it has been something that I like to think makes me somewhat smart. And I know it will help improve everyone else on the call and listening in. With that, any uh, it's seven oh two. Let me give you something. This is really. He's going to tell me how he does it. How do you do it? Value. It's all about value, right? Until you know value, everything is worthless. Once you know value, everything has value. So. How do you use the information to find the opportunity and determine value? And so, Becca, you talked about what things should people be paying attention to? And Andreas, you said you set up a Google alert. Well, what are the four great forces that influence value? The four great forces that influence value. Physical, the quality of the schools, conveniences, churches. Physical, social, economic, and political. Those are the four great forces that influence value, the physical, the social, the economic and the political. Those will affect the value. Those will affect your lives directly. And then if you're looking at specific real estate, it's the old uh, what are the elements of value? Demand, utility, scarcity, transferability, dust, demand, utility, scarcity, transferability. <laughs> so those old old stuff, right? This is like lesson eight in real estate principles is so practical. And all the people complain, I never used the stuff that I learned in real estate class. No, if you, if, if you paid attention, this stuff all was part of our life every single day. And uh, people in real estate really have a uh, an advantage over people that aren't in real estate because the greatest way to accumulate wealth is real estate and everybody needs to buy their own home. And we're all advocates of that. And how do we help more people do that? One way is better utilization of the land. And one way we're going to better utilize the land is we're going to look at the data and make decisions around the data. And, and as data becomes property in and of itself, we'll continue that discussion. And there's a whole conversation around labor to capital, <laughs> labor to capital, right? And it's called and practical AI, practical AI, where nobody has to work anymore because the artificial intelligence will do everything. And now we got a problem with keeping people occupied and who's got power. I heard I was listening to some podcasts the other day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's next month. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, and thank you again for joining the call, being a part of this. I know I get value out of it. I, I know our listeners do, and a blessing to have you in my network. I hope to see you all in person sooner rather than later as well. With that, Mr. Mendoza, would you like to lead us out 